Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. You may be seated if you have your Bibles. Look with me in the book of Joshua, the 24th chapter. We're doing a series on family heroes. And as I mentioned, tonight will be the conclusion. And that song will be important all day long. That's all God asks of us. He doesn't ask for perfection. He asks for us to give ourselves away. I'll begin reading in verse 15 of Joshua chapter 24. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day. Choose for yourselves this day. Choose. It's not up to God for your family to be blessed. It's up to you and the choices that you make. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. The gods of your fathers on the, that they served on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites, those in the land with which you dwell. Then he makes this phenomenal statement. Everybody read it out loud, say it out loud. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. So I want to talk to you tonight about something that changed my life 18 years ago. This message actually came to me 18 years ago. I preached it one time and now I was going through some old notes and it came alive in my soul again. And I'll tell you how it came to me. It's a man by the name of Bruce Wilkinson who wrote the book called The Prayer of Jabez. It sold 20 million copies and probably has sold more than that now. I'm sure probably around 50 million or more. And uh, he started coming to our church in Gainesville. And I didn't even know he was there for almost a year. But he and his wife had a little cabin up in the mountains of northeast Georgia. And they would drive down on the weekend and just sneak in and sit in our church. And so when I got to know him, he became a good friend. And he began to coached me a little bit, encouraged me, and mentored me, told me to start writing books. There were books in me, and it really encouraged me. And I did that, and God has, God has helped us. But beyond that, I'll never forget one lunch that we went to, and he began to talk, and it moved from a conversation to a meaningful conversation when I sensed and he sensed the anointing of the Holy Spirit heavy at that little table where we were having lunch. And he grabbed a napkin and he started writing some things on napkins. And he said, I feel like God wants me to give this to you. And he began to describe the three things that I'm going to talk about. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to share with you some of the things he taught me and I've added some things to it. There are three chairs behind me on this platform. I set them out as an illustration and the three chairs represent the three kinds of people that are in this room today. There are only three kinds. There are the people under the sound of my voice in the overflow, wherever you're listening to me, online, wherever you're listening, they're sitting in one of these three chairs. The first chair is the chair of commitment. The second chair is the chair of compromise. The third chair is the chair of conflict. And I'll explain what each of these chairs mean. But I want to pull them up a little bit closer. 
because I'm going to need these chairs to preach to you a little bit today. But all three of these chairs relate to every person's life under the sound of my voice. The first chair, the first kind of person sitting in the first chair is completely committed to Jesus Christ. They live for Him. I would call them sold out. They're so sold out to Jesus Christ if you're sitting in this chair that often you find yourself at odds with the world's values, at odds with the world's morals. Not that you're holier than thou, not that you're some kind of somebody that can't even relate to stuff, but there is such a commitment to Jesus Christ that His approval means more to you than any... I'd rather have Jesus than anything. That's the person that's sitting in that seat. They find themselves at odds. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, they have been born again, therefore they have a spiritual nature. What does that mean? A spiritual nature. They see things through the lenses of, uh, of their relationship with Christ. Every decision, every part of their life, everything that they are and have, it is inclusive With Jesus. He is the Lord of the family, Lord of the home, Lord of the business, Lord of everything. They are completely committed to Jesus Christ and they are in a spiritual state or they have a spiritual mindset. About everything. Everything's spiritual. What, what do you mean? I mean, the people that I marry, the people that I date, the, what I do with my money, where I go, where I don't go. I, it, it, I'm, I have a spiritual nature. The person that's sitting in this chair is saved. They have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. They've been born again. They believe in the cross. They believe in the blood. They believe in God. They believe in the Bible. They hear the Bible, but they don't necessarily want to do what it says. But I hear it, and I believe that, boy, people ought to, but I'm not. They, they have a relationship with the Lord, but it's distant. Very, very distant. And Paul calls them in 2 Corinthians, same chapter. He says they're spiritual Christians, committed Christians, but in 1 Corinthians Then he says, they have a carnal nature. They're saved. Carnal means fleshly. Um, It's all about me. It's all about what I want to do, I do. God is second in my life. God is not first in my life. Uh, He's there for fire insurance in case I don't go to hell. I I want him there. But but I'm pretty much going to do what I want to do with my life when I want to do it. And... And I'm not going to. I'm not that committed. I'm really. They're sitting in the seat of compromise. And then the third seat person. So you've got a spiritual nature. You've got a carnal nature. You've got completely committed and sold out. And you've got someone who's compromising. They attend church some. If they feel like it, if they don't, they read the Bible some. When they have some real problems, they pray some. When it's almost life is unbearable and they don't have any other options. But then there's the third person. And it's the chair of conflict. This is the person who is unsaved. They have no relationship with God. They do not believe in Jesus Christ. They're unchurched and they're uninterested in God. 
they, if you were to ask them, what do you, you know, what is your worldview? They, it would be one that is humanistic. It would be one that is maybe an atheist or agnostic, meaning all religions, all beliefs, all lead to God out there somewhere. And we, you, any road will get you there. And they're actually living a lifestyle that is in conflict with God's Word completely. And God is not a consideration in their life. The amazing thing about these three chairs is every person under the sound of my voice is sitting presently while I'm preaching in one of these chairs. It's a game of spiritual chairs. The first chair person is in a spiritual state and you could sum their life up with the word committed. The second chair person has Bible beliefs, they've been born again, but there is a difference between the first chair person, a noted difference, and the second chair person. They are not committed. They do not have the commitment level of the first chair person. Paul calls them carnal Christians, carnal, fleshly. They are not living. Their career is more important than their calling. Stuff matters more to them than eternity. They will be saved by the skin of their teeth and make it in and be ashamed at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the judgment seat of the believers, they will not have much reward. Now, this, this, if you're waiting on amens, there ain't going to be any much in here today. So just fasten your seatbelt. I'm preaching the truth. I'm looking at people who are eternity bound. They're compromisers if you're in the second seat. If someone were to look at you and be honest, one word would sum your relationship with God. Compromise. And then there is the third chairperson who does not confess to be a Christian. They have no walk or relationship with God. They got up this morning and it never, they're all over Orange County. It never even crossed their mind that I might want to go to church today. They never think about God. Their children are never taken to church. It's all about, well, what are we going to do? It's Sunday. Sunday's fun day. What are we going to do today? Church is not anything on the radar. God is not Bible, prayer to God, nothing. They are in complete conflict in their lifestyle. They're in a natural state, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. They've never been born again. And you could sum their life up with one word, conflict. Now I want you to see it. The person in the first chair is Joshua. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then he says in, in, in Joshua 14... Notice the commitment level. The Bible said that he followed holy. I think they've got it up. He followed holy after the Lord is God. I mean, that's full commitment. One of the verses says that he left nothing undone God told him to do. 
He was so committed that he followed 100% after God, total commitment, total in love with Jesus, total lordship of his life. And not only me, not only will I live a life of commitment, but as for me and my house, I'll model it, but I'm going to do everything I have within my influence and scope of time with my family to make sure that I get into their soul, into their spirit, into their, into their psyche, into their, their DNA spiritually. They're going to know who the Lord is and they're going to know how to serve the Lord because I, as for me and I, my house, our whole life will be one that's seen through spiritual eyes. We will understand there is an eternity. There is a day coming. There is a judgment seat throne that I'm going to stand before one day. And all that will matter in that moment is am I here and is my family here? Is my son, my daughter, are they here? Did I did I? Get them here. Are they here? Did they make it? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's total commitment. But watch, the guy, the Bible said that in the text that I read, that the next generation said, yes. We, and, and, and I love the fact that Joshua said to them, he said when he was sitting in this chair, choose this day. He's talking to the next generation. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But then he made that statement, choose this day who you will serve. You've got to make the decision, the next generation. And they said verbally, we will serve the Lord. But if you read it, Joshua then later told them, you got to run out the Amorites. You got to run them out of the land. You got to drive them out and you got to worship the Lord wholly, fully, completely. But they did not do that. They intermarried with people of different religions that did not have the faith that they had. And then they set up idols. So they actually, the Bible, there's a verse that actually says they worship the Lord and serve their own gods. They actually had idols, so they would partly worship the Lord, but they also had idols of the, of the intermarrying that they did, of the gods of the Amorites and so on, that they had all over their homes. And they began to live a life of compromise. So you go from a generation of commitment. When Joshua died, they started mixing they started mixing their faith, compromising their faith. They did not drive out and separate themselves and consecrate and dedicate themselves. They said, we can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And as long as I got a little bit of Jesus in this, we'll, we'll be all right. But notice what happened in the same family tree by the third generation. The Bible said in Judges chapter 2, this is all connected to the first seat. Judges chapter 2, it said, throw it up guys. It said, and there arose another generation who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done in Israel. That a family moved from a very committed to compromise, and in just three generations, they're, they're actually in complete conflict. In conflict with the God that the first generation worshipped and served completely. They moved from the first seat to the second seat to the third seat of conflict. They struck a compromise and the compromise had a generational slide into a... a gen Notice there is a generational slide... That if I'm sitting in this seat, it's going to make a difference because the next generation rarely 
will we'll serve the Lord if you don't serve the Lord. Joshua was committed. The next generation compromised. The next generation did not know the Lord. I want you to see it. The first chairperson would say, I'm close to God. Truth matters to me. They're quick to talk about the Lord. This is how you know if you're here. Do you ever talk about the Lord during the week, not just in church? Does he ever come up? Do you ever think about him? Do you ever think about him all day long? Are you... Do you ever talk to him? Do you ever read his word? Do you, does anybody on your job, if, if you walked away and they talked about you behind your back at the water cooler, would they say, what do you think about, oh, oh Joe, what do you think about him? That, you, know, you know, this is when you're sitting in that seat, they say things like, they're real religious. <laughs> and if you could come back, you would say, no, I'm not. I'm in a real relationship. It's not about religion. I actually know him. I actually... I mean, he's my best friend. Friends know you're a Christian if you're sitting in the first seat. It's a dead giveaway. You don't have to carry a Bible and go in there quoting scriptures. You just live and the light in you shines out. They notice how you don't talk like they talk. They notice how you don't... It's just a difference when you're committed to God. I want to ask you and I want to challenge you, which chair are you sitting in? The second chair person goes to church, but it's not consistent because after all, they kind of have this mindset, I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to be too religious. I've seen some people, I'm just going to kind of, don't, you know. I'm talking about getting your family saved. They're close enough to hear the word, but they're distant enough to do what they want to do after they hear it. If you were truthful about your relationship, if you're sitting in this seat, Jesus is more of an acquaintance to you than he is a relationship. You've met him, you know him, you've encountered him. He would say he knows you because y'all met somewhere one time and you would say you know him if somebody asks you. But if the truth were told, it's not a relationship. You don't call each other. You don't talk to each other. It's an acquaintance. That's the seat of compromise. The third chair has absolutely no relationship with God. No God in the house. If you ask them, you know, How do you feel about God? They would say, I feel close to Mother Earth. (laughs) They feel like that Christianity is out of date. The highest authority in the life of the person in the third chair of conflict is not God. The highest authority in their life is their inner self. Because they know there's something out there and I've been trying to talk to my to my little spiritual guide or my little guru or my little new thing from the Eastern religion or this little deal. I've even tried the good witchcraft. You know, it's just, I'm searching, I'm searching. Church is a religious institute. Preachers are hucksters after your money if you're sitting in the third seat. The person sitting in the first chair of commitment has a value system that, are, that, 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 that is at odds with the world many times. Something's different. The person in the second chair knows the Bible, 
But their career is more important than their calling. And they're living a compromised carnal lifestyle. Me first. The third chair person is at odds with God. The third chair person would fit right in, if you want, to abort children in the last semester. Late term abortion, I don't have a problem with that. Gay marriage, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with no, no, no prayer. I don't have a problem with nothing. I don't want God. Do you know that much of our nation now finds themselves... There is another generation arising in America that's sitting in the seat of conflict... Not, not with the preacher, but with the word of God. And I'm afraid if we're not careful, we got entire churches that once were entire denominations that were once committed and sold out to God. And then they begin to compromise until now we actually are, are, are ordaining things in the church that should never be in the church according to this book. Well, the person in the third chair, truth and morality are relative. Nobody has a right to define what's right for me. I don't care what the Bible says. It's all about me if you're in the third chair. In conflict, in this chair... It's God first and me second. In this chair, it's me first and God second. In this chair, it's all me. And I will live my life as if God does not exist. I never even have him in my life or in my thought process. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Let's look at how these seats affect a person's family. A person who sits in the first chair of commitment, they've made up their mind to serve Jesus Christ. Their number one priority is that they get their family to heaven. The person sitting in this chair doesn't have the mindset, I'm trying to raise good children. They have the mindset, I must raise godly children. I don't just want intellectually sharp kids. I don't just want them popular. I don't just want them, uh, you know, sports stars. I, above all things, must know that my children are serving the Lord. I cannot get to heaven for myself and know that I did not get my children and my family to heaven. I can't do that. My number one priority is for me and my house. We must serve the Lord. And I'm committed to that. Whatever it takes, I will not give up on that. The person sitting in the next chair, how does this affect? How does this chair, if you, if you start compromising and live a life of compromise and you're carnal and, you know, and it's just kind of hit, skip and miss and Jesus is an acquaintance, he's not a relationship. It's just, I love him, he loves me and that's about it. Here's, here, something begins to happen. How would you describe his marriage? His marriage would be one of kind of like a, um, 
you know, we, it's not, it's, there's not an intimacy, there's not a closeness. Because when you're a carnal Christian, you, you live for self first and God second and the marriage and the family is second. You're not saying that, but really when you're sitting in this seat, if you were to be brutally honest, it's self first. So if I want to look at porn, if I want to do all those things, I ask the Lord to forgive me when I get through. And, you know, that's, this, is, this is the danger. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a slide in the seat of compromise. The next thing you know, the enemy's taking over. And the guy sitting in this seat knows his marriage isn't good, but, you know, what's a guy to do? And then he starts thinking like this, you know, if I were to be truthful, I've noticed something about my kids. Now that they've gotten up and they're hitting the teenage years, they have more non-Christian friends than Christian friends. And I see it, but... You know, I, I, I see them coming in and I, I suspect my daughter's becoming sexually active or my son is beginning to become sexually active with his girlfriend, but I'm not going to confront it because, I mean, the times we're in. and I've, This is how carnal Christians start thinking. and You know, it's just not worth the fight. And Yeah, his eyes look red and he looks like he's been smoking weed, but he's 16. What's a guy to do? And, you know, she's drunk. And, you know, what, what am I, you know, I don't want to shove God down their throat. So this seat says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so let me get in your business, kid. I love you this much that I want to know who you're with. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know how, you know, what is, let me see your eyes. Let me smell your breath, you minor. Why are you drunk, you minor? I don't want you in prison. I don't want you messed up. I don't want you to kill somebody on the road. But, but when you sit in this seat, as for me and my house... But when you sit in this seat, as for me, see, this says, as for me and my house, we will. There's no, there's no uncertainty. We will serve the Lord. This seat says, as for me and my house, we'll try. We'll try. I, I want to ask you and give you the most startling part of the message. Here it is. There's a generational slide. We see this all through the Bible. Joshua, the next generation, and then there arose a generation that didn't even know God. Abraham, totally committed to God. God, what do you want from me? I, I, I give myself, I give myself away. God said, give me the thing that's most precious to you, that boy. Put him on the altar. God, here I am. I'm on Mount Moriah. I'm putting him on the altar. I give it all to you. I give it all to you. I give it all. I'm committed to you. God said, I make a covenant with you for your family. Next generation comes along. His name is Isaac. And the Bible said the Philistines threw dirt in the waters of the wells that Abraham had dug. And he allowed them to throw dirt in. There's compromise. Mixing the water. Getting the water dirty. By the third generation, there's a guy by the name of Jacob. And Jacob means swindler, liar, and cheat. And that's exactly what he was. He was a conniver. He was a player. He was a, he was a liar, a loser, a luster. All three of those things. He was into everything. He was wicked as he could be. 
but because Abraham had a covenant with God and was committed to God, the Bible said Isaac redug the wells and got the dirt out. And the Bible said that Jacob wrestled with an angel until God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means a prince with God, which tells me that if I, as a parent or a grandparent, will make a covenant with God and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to do everything. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do things wrong. I'm going to have those days. But if my commitment level is where it needs to be, this generation may try to drink from dirty wells and this generation may try to be lusters and losers and liars. But when God gets through wrestling with them and messing with them, I got a covenant that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, my wife and I, and those of you who've been in this church a while, when we came out here, our kids were little bitty kids. And we walked through the teenage years. We've raised five kids and we are not perfect people. We have so many flaws. We have so many things. You can find them in our lives. But one thing we can truly say, we decided that we were going to sit in this chair, me and Sharice. We got stuff in our own lives that we deal with. But the truth is we've never left this committed seat. We will serve the Lord in our good days, in our bad days. And we had our our kids go stupid and we had our kids go stupider, but I'm telling you, all of them are in the house. All of them are serving the Lord. All of them honor and love God. It wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. We wept, we cried, we like the died, but God said, you made a covenant. And if you will make a covenant, I'll deal with your children and your children's children. And when you stand around the throne, Courtney will be there and Connor will be there and Carissa will be there and Drake will be there and Caroline will be there and Sharice will be there and Ben will be there and Tyler will be there and it's a long list now. Luca will be there and Leo will be there and Amelia will be there and Colette will be there. Any other news breaking? Y'all went on a trip. You never know. Little rabbits. Little rabbits. Just checking. I'm almost done. Big thing right here. Parents of the first chair, percentage-wise, will have... The mass majority of their children, listen carefully, voluntarily serve the Lord. Parents of the second chair almost always will have a majority of children who will not follow the Lord. My word to you today is strive for the first chair. If not for yourself, do it for your babies. If I compromise, my children will end up in conflict. So what do I do? What do I do? I found myself all my journey with Jesus in a spiritual game of changing chairs, 
that I find myself doing this and then I find myself in some area of my life doing this. But the beautiful thing of this text is Joshua said, choose this day. Sometimes you have to just remind yourself, man, I got to get back. I got to get back to that seat. I got to get back to that place. I, I got to get back to that commitment. I got to get back to that intimacy. I'm tired of an acquaintance with Jesus. I need him. I really need, I'm ready for some radical Christianity. I'm ready for more than Sunday mess. I'm ready for a feel more than a feel good momentary thing. I need to know when I get up in the morning and I get in my car, Jesus is with me. I need to know that whatever I'm facing in life in this season of life, that he's Lord of my life and that he's in charge and that I give myself away. And if I'll do it, he'll take care of my babies and my grandbabies. And it's not that they won't stray and it's not that they won't try things. But train up a child in the way that they should go and when they're old, older, They'll always keep gravitating back. You can reverse the generational slide if you as a parent or a grandparent live a committed life to Jesus Christ. So I want to be, I want to ask you one final question in total complete honesty. If I were to ask your children to secretly write on a piece of paper grade you and nobody will ever know what seat would you say mom sits in what seat would you say dad sits in sits in totally honest check the chair when I ask all of you young people that I love so much that I feel such a burden for I know that you love the Lord, but if you were to given a test secretly and you were to go into eternity and you had to grade what seat you're sitting in before you go, which seat would you check? Will you be responsible enough to sit in the first chair? I don't know about you, but I want to sit in that first chair the rest of my life. And I want to say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if I'll do that, I may not ever make the money that somebody else makes or give my kids the material things somebody else can give them. But if when I die and I leave this world, if they can check this box, I will have been a tremendous success. I will have been a hero to my family. It's not too late to become a hero in your family. I'm a man, I'm a dad. Every time one of my kids messed up, I took it so personal. And I felt like I was such a failure as a father, as a dad. But I wasn't. Oh, I certainly could have done so many things different. 
But the bottom line is, as long as I stay committed to Jesus, they don't need a perfected, perfect dad or mom. They just need a committed dad or mom. And if I'll stay committed, grace is going to do the rest. Mercy is going to do the rest. Covenant is going to do the rest. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.